What is the good life? And are you living it? Some would say the good life is having lots of money so that you don't have to worry about financial security. Everything's set for life. Some might say that the good life is all about being healthy, eating your vitamins, doing exercise, being healthy so that you can experience everything that the good life has to offer. Some might say the good life is sitting in a hammock in Belize. That wasn't bad until it turned to 98 real feel, then it was a little hot. Peter says the good life is actually about relationships. It's about relationships. And research actually seems to back that up. It's, uh, people who have good, close, personal relationships are happier and healthier in life. So what's the connection here? What's the key to the kind of relationships that make up the good life? Well, the scripture seems to be reminding us that the good life is made up of the relationships that actually bring glory to God. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, the apostle says this, Live such good lives among the pagans, that means people who are not believing, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So live good lives because it actually brings glory to God. So he starts out, what's the good life? We have to embrace a kind of truth here as we start out in this passage. Uh, you know, kind of a Christian reality, a biblical truth. And that is, as Katie said, that we are actually foreigners and strangers in this life or in this world. Meaning that uh, the idea here is that we are not of this world, but we live in it. So we're here, we're living in it, but we actually have a different destination that is promised for us. And that is a renewed heaven and a redeemed earth. A new place where Christ dwells, where righteousness dwells. This is, kind of the, this is the ultimate hope of scripture, that all things will be made right. That in that place where we are heading, that, that's, uh, you know, the, the, uh, that's our destination. We are citizens then, uh, scripture says, of, of heaven. So what are we doing here? Well, while we're here, we are living in a, a way that brings glory and honor to God as we prepare for what's ahead. So it's a new kind of living. The, it, it's about location. It's about where we are. The apostle says in verse 11, if you're following along, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. So right away, we kind of get into this uh, sinful desires. And I want to say that desires, you know, our bodily desires are not all evil. However, sin has allowed them to be twisted and shaped in such a way that we know that, that the desire is to do things that are against God's will. So he says, instead... Live such good lives among the pagans, the unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So the purpose of the godly life is twofold. One is to help uh, unbelievers take notice of our good works that they would one day look to God. Secondly, then, is that in the future they too will glorify God, so that all will come to the grace and knowledge of the Lord. 
So he says, let your behavior and your love turn accusations into acceptance. I had recently heard or read that coming into the church is a very difficult thing to do because it's a peculiar place and we are peculiar people. It's true, right? I mean, we're different in many ways. And so the apostles is saying that this is going to have an effect on the world around us. So what do we do? He says, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people, perhaps turning them even to the Lord. So what kind of good living gives witness in our lives? Well, what, what is the good life that Peter is describing here? Well, again, practicing relationships that honor God. So living God-honoring relationships, and he has three kinds in view. So today we're going to look at three kinds of God-honoring relationships. Two of these everybody has, and one of them uh, many of us have. So the three kinds are relationships with government, relationships with our work, and with our spouses. So as we engage this number one, uh, the first one, relationships with government, in other words, submitting to governing authority. And the first question would be, why would we want to do that? I think that most of us today are looking at an election coming this fall and thinking, yuck, you know, we would rather just forget about it, throw it away, do something else. Uh, what does that have to do with me? Well, Kyle Edelman, he, uh, did a, he's doing a study on First Peter. He says, living the way God wants us to live, being set apart, includes submission to civil authorities, not because they are inherently good. Oh, really? That, that's news to you, right? Not because they're inherently good, but because it says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, because God calls us to. Submit. Can you say Submit submit. How's that feel? You know, it's kind of a word that like pushes us away a little bit. I, I don't want to do that. Well, a Christian who submits, uh, rather than seeking our own interest, assumes this voluntary place uh, of serving others. It, it assumes that we're doing it voluntarily for a purpose, and that purpose is for Christ's sake. He says to silence ignorant talk. In other words, to, to counter what others see uh, as, as wrongly uh, accusations. Most, uh, the most effective way to engage culture is to live in such a way that the prejudices of people uh, don't hold up. That they may accuse us of things as Christ followers, but then actually when they look at our lives, they see something, actually something very different, something good, something appealing, something God-honoring. So, you know, oftentimes we tend to shoot first and then ask questions later, right? Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or supreme authority. Don't fight fire with fire. Be known for your kindness and love. So we're assuming that we're talking about ordinary governance here, um, not something that is inherently evil. That is in the world, of course. There may be times when civil disobedience is required. Uh, there may be times when we have to recognize our priority, that our priority is first God and obedience to God, and second, then, to the governing authorities. When those are in opposition, our choice becomes obedience to God first. 
And if, if that's the case, if we would have to do that uh, civil disobedience kind of thing, then that means that we still do it in a civil, compassionate, Christ-honoring way, in a way that honors the dignity of other human beings in which we are in opposition, because we are all made in the image of Christ. So we are to submit, when possible, to every human authority. So did you know that government serves a good function? Government actually serves a good function. I, I really realized this one time when I wanted to go on vacation. Cheryl and I were planning a long-awaited vacation, and we made reservations at a, a national park. And then guess what happened? The government shut down. You know what happens when the government shuts down? National parks shut down. That is a tragedy. But fortunately, uh, things turned around. We got to go. So, so I recognized in that that government actually serves a good function. So we want to be honest. There is bad government, but anarchy is worse than bad government. We got a, a little view of that in the last few years in the, in the uh, riots and anarchy that's happening in some of our major cities. You know, that, that's terrible. That is not good at all. See, government is, serves a God-ordained purpose of order. So Peter wants us to make sure that our actions as Christians, our actions in submitting to governing authorities is a good witness, and it brings people to recognize Christ in us and to new life in him. So our behavior can turn people from ridicule of Jesus to truth and faith. So that's going to be a challenge in this election cycle, I think, for all of us. Uh, this idea of submitting to civil authorities and engaging in the democratic process that we have in this country and doing it in a civil and a compassionate and Christ-honoring way in our conversations, that's going to be difficult. But you know what? I think the church is best equipped to do that in our world. I think we are the ones, if anybody can do it, I think we are the ones that can lead in this. So let's commit to stand out as exemplary players in the political process no matter what the outcome. Because actually, no matter the outcome, our citizenship is still in heaven. Heaven first. So we, though we live in a land of the free, Peter talks about, Peter's actually uh, in, in, or we, in the United States, we live in the land of the free but Peter is actually talking about a different kind of freedom. He's talking about freedom from sin and death and its power over us and our ability then to choose obedience. Once we didn't have the choice, now as followers of Jesus, we do. We can choose to submit to Christ's command. So Paul, he gives this guidance. He says, live as free people. He says, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. So how do we do that? Peter gives us four ways to practice it. He says, show proper respect to everyone. Again, this idea that people have dignity and, and you know, we can be in opposition with someone, but we can still show proper respect and honor because of who they are made in the image of Christ. He says, love the family of believers. That's us, right? We are sisters and brothers in Christ. I'm going to invite you to turn to someone beside you and say, hey, sister, or hey, brother. Go ahead, give it a chance. Hey, sister. Hey, brother. How's that feel? 
We are sisters and brothers in Christ. We are the body of Christ. God has brought us together into this family. Love one another. And then he says, fear God. You know, God is always to be first in our lives. God always has a place of priority. And then finally, honor the emperor. Practice civil obedience. Honor those who serve above us. So don't underestimate this next one. It says, show respect to others. Show respect to others. When, I, when we were in Belize, you know, one of the common phrases or, or greetings that my sister receives is Miss Susan. Miss Susan, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, a greeting of, uh, you know, acknowledgement. Uh, it's kind of the culture, but it is also a recognition of who she is in that place and in that space. After being in Belize for 30 years, uh, people knowing her character and her walk, recognizing, you know, the good that she does within uh, her family, within the community, and reaching out. You know, it's, it's a title of honor. It's Miss Susan, Miss Susan. They didn't, they didn't necessarily say Mr. Tim, but sometimes they said Pastor Tim. Uh, but, but she demonstrated that. But um, it, it's kind of a, a respect. So why do we automatically show respect? We do it because it honors God when we respect people made in God's image. So let your respectful behavior show Jesus to people. So we honor God in government by our submission, and we honor God in our relationships at work, submitting to our relationships at work. So Peter is talking about submission here, but it's in the, couched in the terms of slavery. So we have to make a little uh, extrapolation. In the first century, uh, slaves were part of the culture. It's part of the reality. Slavery was different than it was in uh, you know, a Civil War era of the United States, not quite as brutal. It was actually part of uh, helping people sometimes to, to, uh, to live when they had no other means. But they were still slaves, and slaves were becoming followers of Jesus. So they were being transformed. They were, they were followers of Jesus, set free um, from sin and death, but they're still slaves. So how do they live this out? How do, did the culture live this out together? So the question is, how do they honor God in their role? He writes, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. So this is part of the fabric of our human relationships, right? We all kind of serve under someone. Uh, you know, we serve under God, but, but we all have human authorities over us, and even in our work relationships. And I would submit that even if you are a uh, sole proprietor, you own your own business, that you still have to interact and relate with others who have power and authority, uh, oftentimes over you. So how do we deal with that? How do we work this out? Well, it's hard to understand, but placing ourselves in submission as an act of free will is a choice to honor God as we're honoring those in authority. He writes, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and enduring it? But if you suffer for good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. It's not that the suffering is commendable. That's not what's commendable here. It is that the person is so committed to God and to the good uh, that devotion to him overrides personal comfort. Now, 
when we're at work, oftentimes, if we're treated unfairly, we're not too happy about it, right? What's our first response? Push back, fight back? And, and, I'm, and I'm not for, um, I, I'm all for having equitable relationships at work. That, that absolutely is true. But sometimes, sometimes it's God-honoring to submit, even when we disagree, even when it causes us pain and discomfort. Now, that applies to us today. What's more important than our personal comfort? Well, a God-honoring response. And I'm convinced that if we show godly respect and submission to our work leaders, those in authority over us, that it will speak volumes about who we serve. The gospel says, live in such a way that your co-workers will see your attitude and your obedience and your submission, that they see God's image and they're won over. You know, it's reflecting Christ and his sacrifice, his submission for our sake. Godly submission at work becomes a kingdom opportunity. You know, I've worked in some awful places. I really have, some very demeaning places uh, in my life. Uh, One particular one, I had a boss who was such a donkey that... That he, he, he enjoyed just being rude. He enjoyed making things difficult for, for the rest of us. In fact, he would pick fights, literally physical fights, uh, with, with some of his employees just because he could. And it, it, was, it, was, it was awful. My language was terrible. But, you know, in, in all of that, I knew this was a temporary role, a temporary place. I was actually in work to, uh, going to seminary, be on my way to pastoring gave me a great opportunity to witness <laughs> in a world where it didn't seem to make any difference but uh, I did and 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 I, I I just quietly went about my work and trusted really trusted that hey you know I don't know how this is going to turn out I don't know what's going on but God you know for your sake work out work this out and you know I never did get a chance to witness to this guy or to really make a difference but I did to some of my other co-workers because it stood out. How I was responding, how I was acting stood out to them, and they started asking questions. So godly submission is a kingdom opportunity. Do you know someone who acts like that? Do you know someone who, who just is so godly that things don't seem to rattle them even at work and they go through their day just honoring others? Peter says, we do know somebody like that. And that's Jesus. Christ is our example. He's actually our calling. Jesus says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Again, you know, he has slaves in view here, but the application fits our lives and how we view our roles and responsibilities and these working relationships, and especially when things are hard. So Peter quotes Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, and he kind of concludes it with what Paul does in 2 Corinthians 5.15. He says, Jesus, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him, for Christ, who died for them and was raised again. It's really not about us. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our rights. It's, It's about Jesus and our witness. As Jesus' followers... We do everything, including work for God's glory. So how do we do this? It's not easy, but it's actually simple. What what is Christ's example? Well, 
Don't retaliate. Jesus didn't retaliate. Someone wrongs you, forgive them. Don't get defensive. Hey, that's not right. Jesus didn't do that. We can work for justice, certainly. We can work for equity, certainly. But not retaliating, not defensiveness. Don't get offended. Oh, so easy to get offended. Jesus didn't. Don't even try, don't try to even the score. That's a big temptation. Wait till I get you. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus let his case rest in God's hands, who always judges fairly. So the question really is, do, do we trust God? Do you trust God and his justice? So let our behavior and our love silence the talk of foolish people. In light of the good life, that we are called to live, there's nothing more to say. We simply entrust ourselves to the one who judges fairly. So Peter says, live the good life by submitting to governing authorities, workplace leaders, and finally to your spouse in submission to marriage. And if you're not married, then take note because these are principles I think that are great for uh, human flourishing and interaction. Uh, for those of you who are married, for those of you who have a spouse here uh, with you today, count yourself blessed. Don't take it for granted that you are here together and encouraging one another in this journey uh, with the Lord. Not everyone has that. So praise God. Look to your spouse if one's here and say, good job. How weird, huh? <laughs> so, and if you're single, again, this, this, this matters. This makes a difference. So... The apostle, we're going we're gonna to jump to verse 7 here. We're going to jump ahead. He says, husbands, in the same way, in the same way meeting, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. It's for God's glory. So we get a little background here on this conversation because uh, you might wonder how, you know, a text from 2,000 years ago has any relevance on a modern day marriage today. Well, it actually does, but I admit things have changed. So in a patriarchal society of the first century, the idea of a husband submitting to anyone in the family was rid ridiculous. It wasn't even considered. It was very strange. So we have to put that in mind in, in that kind of context. Keitel Eidelman, again, he describes women in the Greco-Roman world as being considered property or objects, uh, objects for the pleasure of men, often forced to marry at a very, very young age. So no rights, uh, just objects. And Christians back then were different. They were countercultural, and they treated women differently. The church valued women as equal partners in God's grace and treated them with worth and respect. So this is very, very different. And they did things that elevated women's status. They cared for widows, and, and that actually uh, allowed widows not to be required to remarry and get into disrespectful circumstances. They didn't make young girls marry. They allowed them to wait later, to a later age. They raised abandoned baby girls as their own when it was the cultural practice to uh, discard them to die because they were unwanted. So it's that context in which Peter writes, husbands, in the same way, be considerate. Say considerate. considerate. Just the husbands should say that. Consider it <laughs> as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Say respect. respect. Now, Ephesians has a passage, and uh, we, we learned this about love and respect. It says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. My beautiful wife, 
Cheryl, <laughs> told me, <laughs> told me that, uh, you know, I, I get this love thing, but you also need to respect me. It's like, huh, interesting, right? Respect. So the apostle says, respect uh, them as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Peter wants uh, the church to know that in matters of faith, we are co-heirs together with Christ. There's no hierarchy in, in who is in and who is out. The gospel calls all to faith. So it's small but recognizable to me, uh, maybe to you, that when we're in a mixed crowd uh, and, and we refer to gender in the, in the covenant church, we more and more often hear the order of reference changed uh, from men to women, or men and women to women and men. Oftentimes, when you hear people talking, they will put sisters and brothers, put sisters first. Now, it's a very small thing, but, but I think it has a, an important meaning. It means that it's an attempt to elevate the place of women and remind us as men that women are co-heirs with us in Christ. The Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no hierarchy in the new life of Christ. So as co-heirs and partners, this includes husbands stepping up and taking lead in their families and to start with creating a Christ-like environment in their homes. Now, husbands, if you're here, if you're watching online, this is critical. When I was, Cheryl and I were first dating, we, uh, and, and became married early in our marriage, she, uh, I discovered, I kind of knew, but I discovered even more that Cheryl has a strong leader, a strong personality. Maybe you've experienced that. I did. And, you know, she was very capable, so it was really easy for me to just let Cheryl take the lead, especially when it came to spiritual matters. It's like, she's good at it. Let, let her do it. But, you know, that wasn't working very well because uh, when it came to finding a church, which I was kind of a, a new Christian, and, and I, I wasn't pursuing anything. Cheryl was trying to get the kids and her to find a church, and I was in the background. In fact, she is the one who found a church, and I kind of tagged along later on. But that wasn't the right order. That, is, that isn't God's intention. God intends that us as husbands, as leaders in our family, that we step up, that we take the initiative, that we grow, that we learn, that we encourage spiritual growth in our families, and that we do it then with this mutual love and respect together as partners in Christ. So just so we don't misinterpret the scripture here when uh, he's talking about weaker partner, he's talking about physical strength. Uh, women have less physical strength than men in most cases. That doesn't mean weaker morally or spiritually or intellectually. So husbands need to put their wives above themselves and consider them in marriage and uh, that effect that it has on our relationship. Peter says, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Our relationship with our spouses affects our relationship with God. So what does Peter have to say to wives? Wives in the same way, in other words, in the same way, uh, submitting for the Lord's sake. Wives in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them, husbands, do not believe the word, that they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, then when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. You know, in the Greco-Roman world, again, we have uh, wives who have no authority or power or in, in that culture, are becoming Christians, but that doesn't necessarily mean that their husbands are. 
So how are they to live in that new relationship? Well, the one-over term is a missionary term. It means to uh, live lives in such a way of reverence and respect and fear of the Lord that it becomes a huge witness to that unbelieving husband that they too will see that inner life and beauty and come to faith in Jesus. So I want to be clear that this is not about submitting to suffering or abuse. So if you are watching online or here today and you are in a relationship with a spouse uh, or a person that is abusive, then get out and get help. I want to say that again. If you're in an abusive relationship, that is not what submission is talking about here. Get out, get help. But it is talking about in our marriage today that we are to submit voluntarily for the sake of the other person. The point is not who's large and in charge, but submission plays a godly role in building faith. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, submit to your husbands. And then he goes on to say, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles, the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self and unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So believe me, as a husband, I'm all for my wife looking good. And by the way, she does. But the point is, that doesn't make you who you are. It is all about what's inside, the inner beauty. And there is an ugly saying that suggests that a great personality is a second prize. That's not true. Scripture says absolutely the opposite, that it's the inner beauty that counts. It's that inner love and grace and submission to Christ that matters. So the Bible says, human beings look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, what's inside. So in a world full of pride and self-indulgence, the world notices a humble submission from the heart. So are you ready to live the good life? You ready for living the good life? Then it begins with your relationships. Live in submission to governing authorities, workplace leaders, and our spouses. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for the good news today. Thank you, Lord, that you actually have an order for all of our relationships and how to live them out. And Lord, in these places that uh, we talked about today that we just don't really understand or haven't practiced or haven't really experienced, help us to gain wisdom and understanding and knowledge and to take steps to walk into this. Lord, just by faith, if that's what it takes, it all takes faith, but Lord, just to walk with you so that we can begin to experience what that true submission is like and the blessing that comes out of it. And Lord, that we might see those around us who are watching and, and uh, viewing, that they may begin to see how you are at work in and through our lives. And Lord, begin to be drawn to you through our submission. So Lord, in the areas where we're struggling, give us power and strength. In the areas where we're thriving, Lord, help us to even more live with love and respect. And as we do, may you be glorified. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.